Hello, welcome to Braveful, a podcast with and for achieving women. I'm your host, Amy Zeigert. I'm so excited to share with you stories of women who are brave and gutsy. This show is a weekly view into the hearts and minds of what has enabled these fabulous ladies to take a leap and go forward with bold ideas. So join me in an opportunity to listen, learn, and lean in, Braveful style. Hello, welcome to Braveful. This is podcast number four, hard to believe, but this week is um, a podcast that is near and dear to my heart only because my family has dealt with alcoholism. And it is not necessarily something that starts when you're young. Some of them, it is an actual disease where it is in your genetic makeup. And in some cases, it's it's not. It's a product of your environment. And again, I'm going to put this disclaimer, I'm not an expert, um, but we are going to be speaking with Rochelle Gardner today, who is the executive director of Hope Academy Recovery High School here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she has really been a staunch advocate for our youth and young adults who are suffering through substance abuse. And um, it's a great lesson on the difference between substance abuse and addiction and how it starts in our, our youth today. So I, I'm really grateful that you are joining this conversation. I hope that you can learn something and you can also educate someone about addiction in our society and what is it we can do to guess get our heads out of the sand, so to speak. And with the pandemic, it's even more relevant to having conversations about mental health and substance abuse and how they really go hand in hand. So I would just like to first and foremost thank Rochelle for giving of her time and her talent. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I I had having it. Thank you. Rochelle, thank you very much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. For those of you that are listening, Rochelle Gardner, who's the executive director of Hope Academy Recovery High School, is joining us today to talk about um, her role and how she's been able to help Hope Academy achieve some really great things in the state of Indiana, since it still is the only recovery high school in the state of Indiana, correct? That is correct, yes. Rochelle, if you can kind of give us a little background on you and how you got involved, because you are one of the co-founders of Hope Academy, correct? I am, yes. Yeah. So I got into the addiction recovery field about 30 years ago. I just had finished my undergrad at IU in psychology and started working for Fairbanks on their adolescent unit. Kind of fell in. I didn't. I didn't really. I was kind of sheltered. I didn't really know much about addiction before I started working there. Certainly not kids. There were certainly the people in my high school and stuff, but not like I was seeing at Fairbanks. And so, started there. Kind of worked my way all the way up through that system. Went on and got my license as a chemical dependency counselor. Became a counselor for quite a while. Then I became the manager, and then I became the director, and then I started. I got my master's in organizational management because I didn't go the clinical route because I wanted to deal with people in general. And I like, I love coaching and managing people in general. So when I was working with kids and families, that was kind of my philosophy was coaching them up, right? Coaching them through a situation, coaching them into something different. And so I got my degree in organizational management, 
and then really started looking at visions, right? And so I was supervising clinicians at the time. I was doing program development for adolescent services at Fairbanks and really kind of grew that from just inpatient services to outpatient programming as well. We started a long-term residential program, kind of like a halfway house. It was called the house program for young people where kids stayed, some kids stayed, you know, almost two years in that program. And basically it was really a halfway house for youth, which doesn't really, doesn't exist right now, who were struggling with substance abuse. doesn't exist. No, there's foster homes and there's group homes, but nothing specific to young people transitioning with substance use disorder. And so we, you know, we started that program around the same time that Hope came on the vision, you know, and at the time I was working for another great lady you know, she really wanted to change the landscape of addiction to where it wasn't just focused on a problem. So you weren't just treating a problem or a symptom. You were really going to focus on what what the journey of recovery looked like. And so Fairbanks changed its mission from just treatment to focusing on recovery. And when we started that, she asked me, what does that mean for kids? And I said, well, it really means school because that's where they spend a majority of their time. It took me a little while to convince her that school was something that we wanted to get into. And at about that time, you know, the charter movement came online in Indianapolis with Mayor Peterson. The leader of Fairbanks at the time had great relationships with lots of people in the community. And we started talking about this concept of a recovery high school. And I had found the National Association of Recovery Schools. It was just a little bit older than what we were than what hope is now, but started then looking at where were other recovery schools. And Minnesota is the great state for treatment and recovery. And so there were a lot of them. There were 12, I think, in Minnesota. And so I went and with a peer of mine and we looked at, I don't know, six or seven other recovery high schools up in Minnesota and came back and said, yep, this is really what we need to do. Really didn't know a lot. Well, we weren't educators, so you know it was something all new we had to learn. Certainly had never written a charter before, and so you know we we talked to the stakeholders. Said, what if we went the charter route? Because the charter schools at that time, you know, were still under the disguise of they take the best of the best, and you know, charters weren't real popular with public schools, and we knew that our issue was an issue in public, private, charter, any, you know, anywhere. So we didn't want to be, in a, um, we didn't want to sell ourselves short of who we could help. You know, addiction crosses all walks of life. And so we wanted to be able to be that school. So, you know, a private school would have just allowed us for the people that could afford it, or we'd have to do a whole lot of fundraising and weren't really sure what we would be able to do with that. So private was kind of out. Then we talked about, should we do a public school partner with our, this, at the time was Lawrence Township partner with a public school, you know, in our consultation with others, you know, when public schools lose money, you know, they start defunding specialized programs. And we felt like this would have just been a specialized program, not necessarily a school. And so that's when we ended up in the charter world. And because Mayor Peterson was so supportive, you know, we were able to get that accomplished under his administration. And so in 2006 is when Hope was emerged at the time, like I said, we were changing the focus of Fairbanks to focusing on recovery, and we were building the recovery center that sits there now, and decided to put the school there on the second floor. And so we built the we built that building with the school in mind. But we did we opened the school, and we opened it in trailers. I think we had four or five trailers that we put in behind Fairbanks and ran our first year of school out of those trailers, um, which was 
amazing in itself because, you know, rain, snow, sleep, got to hear it all. I got to be in the middle of all of that in those trailers. So how many kids started that year one? Year one, we had 31 kids start. It was a time, you know, that was 15, 16 years ago. So it was a time when kids were still getting treatment and, and inpatient treatment. So we had kids that were waiting, you know, knowing that the school was opening, that had gone through treatment, you know, maybe six months ago, waiting to go to the school when it opened in August. And, you know, because they had been through 30 days plus of treatment, had some significant recovery time, right? Or at least understood what recovery was about. The landscape today is completely different. So yeah, we had 31 kids start that year. And I think we served over, we probably had about 48, 49 kids go through the school during that period of time. We learned a lot. First year we had, we thought, or I thought our recovery coaches could also be the teachers. So the teachers were going to be recovery. Well, that was a, that did not work because they had a lot to teach, right? We learned that real quick that we were going to have to do or hire some recovery coaches. But, you know, Dr. Zelke, Sig Zelke, he was my, one of the co-founders and partner in crime when we started the school and he's recently passed, but you know, he said, we're going to collect data from the very beginning. I don't know what we're going to do with the data, but we're just going to start collecting it. And so we did. And I'll tell you that his foresight into that was amazing because recovery schools weren't collecting data. Until we came on board, there really wasn't much data around the importance of addressing drug and alcohol use and let's say credit completion or addressing drug and alcohol use and attendance rates. And we really started laying the landscape nationally so that schools would start looking at that. I mean, it makes sense, right? Right. If you stop using drugs. Connect the dots. Right. But there wasn't research there and data that pointed to it. So we we started collecting that research and really started getting the other schools nationally to start um, looking at the importance of the data collection. And now, you know, that's really what's driving most of our, our national schools around the country. So... So we had our first graduation in June and we were able to do graduation in the new building. So that was pretty cool. And then had 14 graduations after that before we, you know, moved down to this, down to this. Now the landscape over time changed because treatment changed and recovery changed and access to treatment changed and people's perceptions of, of perceived risk of marijuana changed. You know, when I was a clinician starting out, I had, 15 kids in my group and their all drug of choice was marijuana and they were smoking marijuana every day and they were receiving treatment for that. Now they had other, they used other substances as well, but marijuana was the primary with that. You don't, that's not even, you can't even get someone admitted to an inpatient treatment program for marijuana use today. And so as, as things changed in the landscape, so has, you know, the perceptions of recovery, the perceptions of, of risk, um, the perceptions of how bad addiction can be with kids versus adults. In some respects, we've gone backwards in understanding the significance of substance use in our kids. Why is that? Have we gone backwards? I mean, stigma is a big issue, you know. I mean, okay. stigma for adults is a big issue. Stigma for with kids around substance abuse. As a parent, it's a lot easier to say my son or daughter is anxious or depressed than to say, they're smoking weed every day or they have a substance use disorder or they're being treated for drugs and alcohol, right? Because that means I must be a bad parent. That must be there's something wrong with my family. Take it further. That must mean there's something wrong in my school district if I have 
kids that are using drugs in my school district. You know, I mean, just follow it all the way down and, and stigma follows it. So, and even now we just had this conversation on a national call that even now, as we're addressing mental health issues, substance use is still getting left behind. You know, we have mental health counselors in the, in the schools, which is great. We need them. Our kids are highly stressed and, and anxious. And, but are they dealing with the substance abuse? I, I don't know. I had a conversation with the local school district not too long ago that said, I think you really need to educate us on what, what kind of kids are in your school. Because, you know, I know that you have a lot of marijuana, alcohol using kids, maybe not completely addicted, but certainly in that substance use disorder. But my, my faculty believe that, you know, they have to be heroin addicts to go to your school. There's this whole continuum. And a lot of that has to do with just as we normalize marijuana across the country, the perceived risk of not just kids, but the whole community. So marijuana is not that bad. Um, And I can tell you that the marijuana that, that is coming in is not traditional marijuana. Well, it's usually laced with something, isn't it? Well, it's laced or it's pure THC. It's causing incredible behaviors, even to the point of psychotic behaviors. And, you know, it's a pure form of THC. It's not what people think it is. And so in some respects, we've gone backwards. You know, we had a big, we have a big focus on the opiate crisis, right? And we have an opiate crisis, but we have an addiction crisis. Opiates are a symptom of an addiction crisis. We have kids that get addicted to painkillers because they got a football injury or something like that. Right. But we have kids that just use painkillers because they find it in their parents' bathroom or their grandparents or somebody sells it to them because we have an addiction problem. We have an addiction problem, and it's not that we don't do prevention work, because we do do prevention work, right? But we live in a very stressful time, and I'm not just talking about the pandemic. I'm talking in general. Our kids are highly stressed. You know, think about how many kids talk about graduating early. Why does anyone need to graduate at 16 or 17 years old? No one needs to graduate that early. Their brains aren't developed enough to go on to college or even have a full-time job and be successful at 16 or 17. But we encourage our kids to graduate early. We encourage our kids to get college credit so that you have your associate's degree before you enter your freshman year at college. And all of those things are great, but let's look at the mental health tasks that it puts upon them. Kids don't just pick up drugs and alcohol because it's a hereditary issue. That is part, That can be part of it. Kids are using because it's alleviating something else in their life. It's bringing friends, they have fun, right? Where they don't feel that they can have fun any other way. It alleviates their anxiety. It connects them to people. It connects them to fun. All things that are important in a young person's life. And so when they're using, it becomes this coping mechanism for them, right? Our kids are immediate gratification kind of kids. So even more so today than probably 15 years ago. That's why addiction goes so quickly in young people and why, you know, why substance abuse early on is so worrisome because of all of these other factors that can lead to more continued use and to a physical addiction. And trying other things, higher risk behavior, right? Sex, violence, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, getting yourself in a, in a situation that human trafficking comes into at play. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's just a scary place. And if we don't start addressing the, the bottom line of our availability and, and kids' perceptions of, of risk, we're going to have a mess on our hand anyway because of the pandemic. But 
So what are public schools or schools in general doing today to help their students? Because today, how many students do you have at, at Hope Academy? So today we have 22. Okay. More, in a normal year, not pandemic year, we oh, would have true. anywhere between 35 and 40 kids. Every school district probably has 100 kids. And so, I, you know, I think what happens for a lot of reasons, but I think one of the things happen is we don't, we don't look at hope as more of a preventative method than like a treatment method. I don't, and we're not treatment, but you know, an after kind of thought. There are kids that come in here where we could reverse the symptoms of substance use disorder. Okay. They come in, they're abusing substances today because of whatever's happening in their life and it's causing chaos in their life. They can't seem to get through school or have a family relationship or any of that. They come to Hope, and because of our specialized programming, you know, end up graduating, end up feeling better about themselves, and can go on and maybe drink or whatever socially later in life, right? Had we not had that opportunity with them, they would have continued on that same pathway of destructive behavior, drinking and drugging to deal with whatever was causing them, and just creating a domino effect, right? Then we have kids whose lives are just totally out of control because of their drug addiction, And we're helping them on that path of recovery and, you know, 12 steps and all those other kinds of pieces. So one of the things I think happens in school districts is we don't, we don't identify it early enough. Okay. You know, student X who appears to be, you know, maybe using some sort of substance is missing school that you start to see their grades slip. They're changing their friends. Maybe they're not coming to school. Those are the kids that we should intervene quickly. And maybe they spend a semester at Hope or they go to Hope and, you know, do what, you know, however long. But because that intervention happens then, we may have saved them a hospital visit, a treatment visit, earned credits, you know. I mean, most of our kids that come to us come to us a semester behind and earn credits. That's just awful for these kids to try and make that up when they already feel bad about themselves anyway. And so I, I think that's part of it. And, and I think stigma has something to do with that. Well, it's just marijuana or they, it's just a drinking or two or three episode, or it's not that bad yet kind of situation. But, but you take those students out. There are the kids that are the ones that aren't coming to school every day, that, that no one knows where they are, or they're the ones that are sleeping in the back of class that maybe don't cause any problems, but no one really intervenes with, you know. There are those kids, you know, if every school district identified one or two students that needed Hope Academy's intervention, and they probably have 20 kids that need that kind of intervention. One, the school would be full, but we would need more of these these kinds of schools. And what I would say is the benefit of it is, is because it is so small. So because they do feel, start feeling successful in class again, you know, they start recognizing that because now that the substances have been taken out of their body, they can think, they can remember, they can concentrate, and they can start making an impact in their high school career versus feeling left behind, um, no one cares, unsafe, those kinds of feelings. So there's no reason. And I think it's, I think it's just a concept that people just don't understand So what's the demographic of the students that attend? I mean, it's not, you know, I think most people think of of substance abuse as dirty and, you know, coming from squalor or from parents are gone, you know, and I'm sure there's a combination of everything. But 
here in Indiana, what are the demographics for your students that are attending? You know, whether it's been this year, last year, you know, five years ago, et cetera. Okay, so I'll talk national trends and I can, and it really reflects Hope's trends, but typically it's primarily Caucasian. Part of the reason for that is diverse populations tend to end up in different buckets. So the African Americans tend to go through the judicial system for a lot of, there's a lot of cultural reasons. And people just don't step in and kind of move them into a prevention kind of model. Hispanics tend to deal with it more within the home. But we have so many new cultures, you know, the Burmese, now we're on the South Side, the Burmese population is a huge population down here. And they have a huge issue with alcoholism within that, within that culture. And so it's really about educating the different, not just the different entities, but also throughout into the different cultures, how prevention as a school is really going to be a future endeavor, a future um, benefit. It's not a one size fits all anymore. No, no, it's not. We have kids that, you know, as I was saying early on, kids that were getting 30 days, 45 days of treatment. We have kids in here that maybe have had one. It's kind of flipped nationally where they're finding us first before they're finding treatment programs. Because why? Everybody wants their kid to graduate high school. Not every parent wants their kid to go through treatment. So we're having to kind of reorganize how we do our schooling so that we can start doing a lot of the pre-treatment, pre-change kind of work up front to get them motivated to go into treatment. We still get those kids that come out of a treatment program, but you know, it's probably half and half, but back to the demographics. So today our demographics, I think we have 13% Hispanic, 10% African-American and the rest are Caucasian, usually more males than females. That's pretty traditional of how treatment goes as well. We receive kids from all over the nine County area, really. We have kids from Hancock County and Shelby County and Johnson County and obviously Marion County, Hamilton County, because we have transportation that helps get the kids to school. We've been able to keep, you know, a pretty wide range of kids. We have one young man, he's graduating in December, but he comes from Tipton. So his mom gets him to Hamilton County Town Center or something, and then the bus brings him the rest away. But that young man probably would not have made it had he not had Hope Academy, he came to us after seven months of treatment and was almost a year a year behind. So he came to us last year. And so we were able to, in you know, what, 18 months, get him up to the point where he'll graduate in December, roll into Ivy Tech and start going into the mortuary sciences industry. So, and no one would have, he, would, he and his mother would have thought he would even be alive to see that day. So, you know, that's the beauty of it. We get to see that other side. Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, Tipton and people, that's what, two hours away? Yeah. Well, you know, how, how far would you drive your child for cancer treatment? How right. far would you drive your child for, you know, a rare disease, right? You would do whatever it takes. And that's really what, that's the conversation that we have with parents is yes, it's, it's a long way. It's free. I mean, it's all free. Right. You don't have to right. pay for anything. You just got to figure out how to get them here. And the benefits are huge. And once they start to see that, then it becomes, you know, this just this natural thing and we'll figure out how to work it, how to work it out. So what's a day look like day at, at Hope Academy compared to a non-recovery high school? Well, first of all, you're greeted at the door 
by the principal or the or myself or you know some staff member is always there to greet the kids in the mornings when they get off the bus. Our first period of the day is what we call recovery and wellness. And so on Mondays and Fridays, the whole school, the whole school comes together and we do what's called our morning circle. And, you know, we share meditation, we share positives in our lives, we set goals, we talk about any community issues that we need to address, we may celebrate birthdays or something like that. And then they go off and they do just normal school. So they may go to math or English or social studies or science. So that happens on Mondays and Fridays. And then on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, first period is with the recovery coaches. And so they're meeting with them and they're doing life skill building. They might be doing some social emotional learning. They might be doing recovery learning. They might just be processing something that happened. They start off still at the whole school with the recovery team and it's to get them centered on why they're here. Then they go off and do school. So then it just looks like traditional school. You go, you transition from class to class. We have four minute passing periods. We have lockers, that kind of thing. In the middle of the day before lunch, we have what's called student resource time. And so it's kind of like clubs. So because our kids don't, you know, they've pretty much burned their bridges in outside sports and those kinds of things. We try to involve that. And so we have a partnership with Anytime Fitness. So our kids can go down there. We have a teacher who plays games, you know, different kinds of thinking games with them. Um, We have a science club, we have a a yoga club. So the kids can do a variety of different things that the teachers then can step outside of the classroom and do one of their, one of the things they like to do with the kids. And then we also, during that time, two days a week, we do college and career readiness activities with them. So focus on, you know, what do they want to do? How do you apply to college? You know, all of those kinds of college, college readiness skills. And then we have lunch and we go through the rest of the day. So that's kind of what a typical day. It starts at nine and ends at 320. And then we have an after school program called our Guiding Past the Success program. And it, you know, right now it's kind of weird with COVID, but pre-COVID, you know, they would meet every day after school and be doing something different. Somebody from the recovery community comes in. They may go out and do um, some sort of special activity. They may do go to a 12-step meeting, something different that they would do after school, because we know that the hardest time for our kids is between three and seven to not use. And so we're trying to fill, fill that gap for the kids and the parents. So that's kind of, kind of what a traditional day looks like. We go 184 days. And I said earlier, it's free. So a lot of people think it's a treatment program and it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. It doesn't, it doesn't cost anything to go here. Just your ego. You got to let go of your ego. Just, that's right. Ego and get through the stigma. Forget the stigma. Right. I'll tell you something funny. We, when we started the school, you know, there's some of the schools in Minnesota were like sober high, right? Sobriety high school, that kind of stuff. And when we asked the kids, because we had a group of kids that were helping us create the name, they didn't want that. They didn't, you know, they wanted it to be something that was reflective, but not that said, oh, by the way, these are kids in sobriety or whatever. So that's where Hope Academy came from. And so you, on your transcript, it just says Hope Academy. No one would know what it is. And you've got, you know, a 4.0 from Hope Academy or, you know, whatever your GPA is on your transcript that comes to Hope Academy and have yet to have any college say no, right? Because we we issue a core 40 diploma. So does every state have a recovery high school? No, there's there's 42 recovery high schools around the country. Massachusetts has five. Texas has five. Those are the two states that have the most. Minnesota used to have the most, but they closed a lot. The closest state to us is Ohio. They just opened one this September. 
So no, there's, and there's people that want to start them. I mean, I have, I have at least one conversation a week with somebody who, you know, I just talked to somebody from Chicago the other day who's trying to open a recovery high school. And, you know, the movement has come a long way in 15 years. And now we have a whole accreditation process that I help build and hope help build so that there's similarities in all the schools, but they, the way they get to a relapse prevention plan might be different than how HOPE does. But everybody has a relapse prevention plan. Everybody has a, a governance you know, section. The way they do it might be a little different, but everybody has it. So you know, we were able to help create a, a accreditation process that really, if you go and you, and you look at the accreditation and you build your school around the accreditation, you have everything you need. Wish I would have had that 15 years ago, but I'm glad to help other people. Happens when help you're breaking people. glass. That's you're right. Glass, you're going through the ceiling, and you you set the stage for a national program, which is needed. Clearly, it is needed because if you look at the number of people using from 2006. I would assume it has grown exponentially to 2020. I saw somewhere where 1.7 million 12 to 17 year olds have a substance use problem and five to 7% of them get treatment for it. Do the math on that. And, and that doesn't mean addicted. That means a substance use problem. So that means they're using substances to avoid some sort of issue going on in their life. That's creating loss in school, loss in relationships, whatever that is. So what's the difference between substance abuse and addiction? One thing is with kids, it just goes really quickly, right? Because as you start using, that becomes a coping mechanism and then you get physically addicted to it, then that goes full on into addiction. And it's the same, it's the same concepts, you know, as it cause problems in your life or using more because it, you need more to get high, you know, those, it's all those same indicators of adults. The difference is it goes very quickly, but but there are people, you know, I, if we could reverse, if, if we have kids in our school, which I believe we do, who we can intervene today and get them to stop using and work a recovery program, that it will reverse, it can reverse the effect on them. They won't have to stay away from drugs and alcohol the rest of their lives it, right. because it's not a, they haven't flipped into that addiction side of, the, of it yet. Um, and I have kids. I mean, after 15 years, I have, I'm friends with so, so many uh, Hope kids that in the midst of their addiction or the, of their drug use, you know, Hope was the saving grace for them. They probably wouldn't have been alive without it, but they're married and have kids and hold jobs and they drink occasionally. It's for everybody. To your point, something that starts out as a coping mechanism can then turn into an addiction. Whereas you're helping kids, young adults, learn how to cope with these issues so that right. they can do it without drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be of, of, of choice. That's the more important part. I mean, when I think about my daughter, who's 27, she went to high school with one of your recovery coaches. Great young, young lady that she was, is, and is, is doing for Hope Academy. But my daughter and, you know, same for, I don't want to say her name, you know, they've lost so many friends to addiction from their time they were freshmen to seniors in high school and even after. But the addiction, because they never got the help they needed to know how to cope, they, they could not make it as young adults. 
And so like you had stated, it just exponentially, it just gets that going down the hill, the ball just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you can no longer control it anymore. So that to me speaks great volumes. The fact that you're not only trying to handle an addiction, but you're trying to get to them before it becomes that. So, so how do we help spread the word that Hope Academy is not a recovery or, you know, um, place to go once you're already addicted, but it's to help get to you before it becomes that addiction. Because like you said, there are certain things that a parent you're going to notice. I think hope is for any student that substance use is causing problems in their life today. We just interviewed a young man who doesn't quite see the need for hope yet, um, but probably will because he can't stay on the swim team, right? Because he smokes too much weed. And eventually probably will come around to when he's not able to swim, come around to seeing the need for that. It's both, you know, prevention happens on both, both ends, right? I mean, a person who has a disease of addiction is preventing relapse and preventing returning to use. Kids or people that are using substances, we're preventing them from getting further down that pathway, right? And if we could, as a community, start to see it as that, that, you know, we're able to, I was just on a phone call today where they were talking about the prevention model being primary, secondary, and tertiary. And the primary is really for education, right? You're preventing someone from ever starting to use, okay? And that's really happening in our younger middle, you know, grade schools and younger schools. The secondary is really to reverse that, right? So you start giving them more information around probably using is not the best pathway for me because it's causing these problems in my life. And so can we intervene now and kind of reverse that? So can we reverse their journey down this pathway of not getting, receiving credits and graduating? Can we reverse the pathway of isolating all people from their lives, reverse the pathway of not having any coping skills other than a drug and alcohol to make me feel better and, you know, create a stronger inner self that can kind of turn that away. And then there's the tertiary side, which is really for the treatment component of that. And hope kind of fits in between both of those, those two pieces, as I was explaining to them. And, you know, I never really thought about the reversing of what's happening that, that, that trajectory that someone is on is really that's what we're doing, right? We're giving them a different pathway and putting them on a different different track. And so it can ha- it can start as early as someone's just struggling with with school and drugs and alcohol are part of that, and they need a smaller learning environment, um, specialized learning environment that's going to focus on social emotional learn or health, and you know give them some recovery tools in the meantime, and all the way to the young person who's full-blown addicted. So I think there's a lot of misconception. And I, you know, you know, being with Fairbanks for 15 years, I think some of the misconception was we're a treatment school because, you know, we sat there with with Fairbanks for such a long time. We're not treatment, right? Right. We're an actual education provider. And so now I think people see us more on the school side that is supporting substance abuse disorder, mental health, social-emotional learning. Wow. Well, so as this, this will get shared with lots of people. What is it that Hope Academy needs to be successful, to continue to be successful? Because you're doing great things in the community, but how do we, or how can, can we as a community help you? Well, I think there's, I think there's 
the big picture. And that is to really recognize the fact that our kids have access to drugs and alcohol and are using them as a coping mechanism. And it's going to become even more of a problem, especially in this pandemic. So not putting our heads in the sands to say we don't have a problem because we do have a problem. Then to say, okay, well, hope is a solution, is a solution to this problem and to help people to spread the word, right? Because there's really not... You know, yes, we're a charter, but we don't have the same stigma as a lot of charters do. We're free. We're, we're so treatment, you know, we don't have, it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. I think it's really those two things, recognizing we have a problem and that hope is a solution and hope is here to help combat that. I mean, I got four recovery coaches that work for me now, all products of either hope or a sober a collegiate recovery program. And it works and they're all going on, you know, they're all getting their master's degrees or getting their degrees. And that's probably, if there's been any benefit to what I've done over the last 15 years to watch those young people and the young people that I know that are, have changed their lives and, and made a difference, you know, in their communities, that's probably the, the best payoff of all, all of these years, right? If you ask my daughters what I do, my oldest will say, well, you raise money. That's one thing my daughter will say. <laughs> my youngest one will say, well, mom, you save lives. For them to be able to see that and then and then to watch it every day in my school with these recovery coaches changing lives is just a it's a oh, miracle. I get just choked up about it because that's the impact I think every person wants to have in this world is how can I reach one person? How can I help one person be better at what they're meant to be? That's what you've done. You've done that for so many years. Um, And that's why I think you are an amazing achieving woman, because that's tough to do. It is tough to make an impact on a community, on a country where kind of back to your point when we started, there is a stigma around substance abuse, even though it's probably our nation, one of our nation's biggest problems. God, hats off to you for what you've done. It's just amazing. I feel blessed to be able to add anything to Hope Academy because the difference that it's making is um, is phenomenal and people need to know about it. If you haven't listened to the song that Marianne talks about, there's a song called Just One by Matt Butler. And yes. it, it's the song that premieres, there was a recovery school mo- uh, movie out called Generation Found. The song really just talks about if if. I change one and you change one and he's changed one, then we will have a generation that's changed. And that's what I really feel like happens, not in recovery schools and especially in hope. Even during the pandemic, you know, I was sitting with a group of kids yesterday and they're the hardest of the hard of the hard in our school. And they were talking about, you know, their gratefulness and why, why they want to come to school every day. Right. That's, they don't want to be at home. They want to come to school and they want the connections and they want to, they're trying really hard not to use. And there's things in their lives that keep them from doing that. And, but I know, I know that we'll reach them. I know that something in this environment will reach them and um, someone, something, and that's the blessing I get every day. Yeah. Well, again, hats off to you. And I will encourage our listeners to please look at the show notes. So you have an opportunity to give to Hope Academy, um, even though it is free to the public. Um, and because it is smaller, there are still needs that can be met by giving um, a wonderful donation to Hope Academy. So 
I encourage you to do that. Um, and thank you, Rochelle, for your time. Thank I you, just, Amy. Your passion, your love for saving, you know, these wonderful kids, young adults. I feel it every time I do something with Hope Academy. So thank you. Well, thank you. And thanks for being involved and yep. helping us along the way. Yep. And I'll keep doing it. So thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me today. I don't know about you, but I sure am grateful for the opportunity to listen and learn from such great women. So if you enjoyed yourself as much as I did, please feel free to share Braveful podcast with your friends and colleagues, as well as please subscribe to Braveful on your favorite podcast apps. Have the best day ever. And until next time, be Braveful.